listening to First Church Charlotte. We don't want you just to watch at a distance forever. Take a chance on us. Get, get to know us a little bit, and that will be immediately after this service. I'm reading Romans, and I'm telling you one of the last statements that Paul writes to the church in Rome. It's kind of the, the thing he leaves them with after 15 chapters of theological genius. He leaves them with something to carry along the way. And he says this, May the God of hope, somebody say the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. So that you may overflow with hope. What are you overflowing with? You may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the presence of God does in your heart and life is it overflows hope. You are overflowing in the hope of the promises of God. And so for just a moment, I'm going to preach from this theme, a new definition of hope, a new definition of hope. As a society, we are very much living in a time of uh, stress. There is a lot of confusion in our in our society right now there's a lot of stress as though as though two years of um, sickness and infection uh, and the risk of plague was not enough um, it seems like the world decided that that wasn't enough so we would all go to war and we're all watching with horror the images coming out of uh, Eastern Europe as you have the armies uh, commanded by uh, Vladimir Putin invading uh, the Ukraine. And it is, whether or not we like it, it's kind of the elephant in the room. And it's news everywhere. Whatever news you get, whether it's through your phone or uh, old-fashioned through newspapers or network news, if anyone still does that, um, whatever, whatever your source, you know it's almost wall-to-wall coverage of the, of the horrors of war. And I have, and I know you probably, if you're exposed to the news much, you have too. I'm at that age where I have so much sympathy and empathy for people that everything just moves me. Um, I, I see an interview of some mother stuck in a, a metro station with some baby, and I'm crying with her. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I have, I understand maybe better at this stage of my life just how difficult uh, life is. And we're blessed. You see what I'm saying? There's people that have had much worse circumstances than we do, and uh, even even at a remove, and even in, as it were, looking over the shoulder of history at what's happening, it moves me in my in my spirit, and I'm sure it does you too. And no one really knows how we got in this sort of situation. It's easy to um, try in some way to oversimplify anything political. Um, if you read much history, you soon learn that whatever simple solution you're being given by somebody uh, is probably more of a story than it is an understanding of circumstances. Uh, life is, uh, it displays a lot of complexity, shall we say. Um, that said, this has seemed like a week where um, something has changed in what it means to be modern, what it means to be a citizen um, in uh, the country and a member of the community of nations. It seems as though uh, somebody made a wrong turn and we ended up in the Cold War. And it's like, what in the world is going on? And we as a society are living with a ton of stress. As believers, we're living with stress. As uh, people working in a changing, a fast-changing uh, socioeconomic reality, we're living with a lot of stress. And uh, wherever you look, it just seems like a nonstop wall of stress. And now, as if we didn't have enough of that, we are facing the prospects of a violent conflict on uh, European, uh, con- the continent that, uh, of Europe. And so, 
I, I acknowledge that and I, I, I admit that and I am the first to admit that not everything is an easy fix and I'm the first to admit that we live with a lot of things that we do not control and yet here we are. And so uh, in a world with this much complexity, one of the things that any believer ought to be doing is, is to be speaking of the hope that comes through having faith in God. Uh, as if the church won't speak hope, who are we waiting on to speak hope? <laughs> Uh, if believers won't speak hope, who, who are we waiting on, you, uh, waiting on to speak hope? I, I want to remind all of you that one of the great opportunities in your life is to prophesy over a valley full of dead bones. One of your spiritual callings is to look over a burnt field of what sin has done and say to that field, God is able. God is able. I think so. I don't know who I'm preaching to when I say that, but I say I think some of you need to look at the difficulty in your life right now, and you need to say God is able. <laughs> you see, you're supposed to start preaching while it's still a valley of dead bones. You don't wait until the miracle happens to start preaching. The miracle happens after you've started speaking faith to the dead bones that you are living with, and some of us need to get in the habit of speaking hope to a world in despair. Some of us need to get in the habit of speaking joy to a world of sorrow. We need to get comfortable speaking the promises of God to a community that's filled with rage. And we say that he is the one who gives peace that passes understanding. Don't wait until you approve of the situation to be a mouthpiece for God. Take your time. Take your time. Well, thank you very much. I believe I will. You speak it before it's true. You are a man and woman or woman. Hopefully you're not both. That's complicated. You are a man or woman of faith. Do you hear what I'm saying today? And so you speak God's promise, God's word, God's keeping power into the mess. You don't wait till you approve of it. Have, if you'll ever notice a church that will bless people it approves of, you'll see a church that doesn't grow. There, there's no perfect people for us to work with. What there is is a hurting world. And you know what we do to a hurting world? We speak the goodness of God to a world filled with pain. And uh, we, in learning and seeing this, I've spent some time thinking about King David and his particular circumstances because David, uh, more than any other character in all the Word of God, teaches us the, the discipline of praise as a way of being, praise as a life choice, praise as a, uh, a purpose, praise as who I am, not just what I do, praise as you can kill me, but I'll still praise, praise as you can starve me, but I'll keep on praising, praise as you can lock me up, but I'm going to keep on praising him, praise as... You can put me in a cave, I'll praise him in a cave. Praise as you can betray me, I'll praise him as I flee from my life. I am a praise-focused individual. I will not stop praising God. It's not dependent at all on where I am. It's very much dependent upon who he is. You see, most of us cue praise to where we are, and when we're good, then we're praising God because he's good. No, he was good before things got good in your life. Now, you're church people. You're supposed to believe this. Can I have a great big amen? Uh, we believe God is good before it was easy to believe that God is good. Some of us need to quit feeling sorry for ourselves and get back to being a source of praise to God. Whether or not I got the job, God is still good. Whether or not my body hurts, God is still good. If God doesn't do anything else for me, he's still good, somebody. Don't wait for the miracle to praise him. Praise is who you are and what you do. Oh, praise God in his sanctuary. So uh, here King David uh, is a man of promise. He is a man of destiny, but the painful truth of destiny is that destiny takes time. No, one, no one's excited about that at all right there. No one. I'm a little depressed myself. 
fact, I'm thinking about just stopping right now. <laughs> Destiny takes time. <laughs> Destiny takes too much time. David is just chosen by God intentionally. One day he's out taking care of sheep. He's good at that. His family can see that for him. And uh, he's just working with what he's got. And so he sees some commotion down perhaps where his family is, doesn't know what's going on. Um, If he had been able to watch what happened, he would have seen all his brothers brought out in front of his uh, uh, man down there in the village and he would have wondered what was going on and time would have passed and finally he would have saw a runner coming up to get him and he's like what's going on and one of his older brother and like they want you down there I'll keep the sheep and so here you have David going down to the village going down to the village and he gets there and before him is the prophet and Samuel Samuel sees him Samuel has showed up looking uh, for what God is going to do yet what God is going to do next and he has a horn full full of oil and he's ready to anoint someone according to the promise and destiny of God and uh, he is presented with the sons uh, uh, there that the family is so impressed with and he um, can't see the anointing upon them and uh, they look good to the outside but uh, God cares a lot about the heart and He's like, you know, you have any other sons? And so they, they, yeah, there's one more, but he's just taking care of the sheep. You see, uh, a lot of times the people around you cannot see the anointing upon you. I I wish it weren't so. Um, I wish it weren't so. But here's the thing. Your ability to overcome your circumstance is directly related to your ability to become who God is trying to birth in you. But because you can't stop fighting your circumstance, you never open your heart to become who God said you could be. You can't blame for your family for having you to keep the sheep. That's what they could see in you. But God sees more in you than your family can see in you. Um, a lot of times we, have, we, we end up borderline hating people because they see one level of in us and we're like, no, I have more to offer. And so we let the bad spirit of their blindness limit who we could be even though God could always see more in us. And now standing in front of the prophet, the prophet receives the word of the Lord and the prophet takes that horn of oil and he anoints David in the presence of his brethren. Don't worry about the brethren. God will anoint you in the presence of your brethren. And then their argument won't be with you. It'll be with God. That's some good preaching. I know I didn't hear a loud amen from this row over here, but I want you to know that's some good preaching. My wife didn't even say amen. She did? Did you say amen? All right. One more year without the lawyers, just so you know. One more year without the... We don't believe in divorce. We do believe in homicide, but we do not believe in divorce. Um, So uh, here he is anointed in the midst of his brethren, and now what? Now what? Now what? Somebody say, now what? This is the big disappointment in your life right now. Uh, Go back, finish taking care of the sheep. Now, that that just makes me mad thinking about it. Didn't you not see me anointed? Yeah, but the sheep still have to be taken care of. Destiny takes time. And uh, he's not even allowed to go to the war. Don't y'all know I'm anointed? Don't y'all know I'm anointed? Don't y'all know I'm anointed? Yeah, but the sheep still need to be taken care of. You're never too good for sheep. I don't care how anointed you are if you don't love people. Uh, every, every Saturday, our church leadership team has a meeting on Saturday morning. We call it for informally, uh, I call it this, we call it the People Show. And uh, we all meet online and we talk about the needs that we know of. We talk about the people we're praying for. We're talking about the people we're wanting to introduce to each other. It's all, you see, there's no anointing that lets you not care about the sheep in your life. In fact, don't say you love God if you can't love sheep. Well, let me say it differently. Don't say you love God if you don't love people. I don't even have to say that. I just quoted John, the apostle, saying that. And so here, he's not sent to war with his brother, and he is sent back. He is left with the sheep. And finally, when he gets there, bringing food for them, rather than saying thank you, they mock him. They're still mad. You can't let your future be defined by the people who's mad. You can't let your future be limited by the people who think they should have what God is destined for you to have. Destiny takes time. Now, you can stay there and fight with them, but let me tell you, if you're fighting with them, you'll never see Goliath. 
The jerks in your life are not the enemy. Jerks were made to be ignored. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help you. Jerks were made to be ignored. Now, if you get up in the morning and uh, you meet a jerk, what do you do? You ignore him. You keep on going. But if you get up in the morning and everybody you meet's a jerk, no, honey, you're the jerk. <laughs> Just threw that in for a discount rate right there. Um, he doesn't fight with his brothers. What does he do? He sees the battle his brothers can't win. And he believes in the anointing even though his brothers don't. Do you see how faith works? He believes in the anointing even though, even though his brothers don't believe in the anointing. And what does he do? He fights Goliath and he wins. And uh, as he lifts that sword he's taken from Goliath, Goliath enslays the biggest threat to the people of God on the battlefield. Everything surely must change now. Now he's going to be given the hand of the daughter of the king and everything's going to change, right? I love it when good things happen to good people. Moving on up to the east side, finally going to get a piece of the pie. Not all y'all know good music. Music, but some of us know good music. And here he is now. Maybe this is what the prophet was talking about when he said that I was going to be anointed. I was going to marry into the family. Maybe that's what this was about. And he goes there. Things are looking up. Things are looking better. You know, good things. And we're happy, but it doesn't last very long now. Uh, the king who he has secured the man's throne by defeating the man's greatest enemy, that man is threatened by him and tries to kill him. And now David, he is running for his life. Were you anointed? Yes, I was anointed. Why am I running for my life? Yes, I was anointed in the midst of my brethren. Why were I was I left with the sheep? Yes, I was anointed in the midst of my brethren. Why was I forgotten in the battle? Why did I have to risk everything and even elevate it to the home of the king? Why? Why? Why am I running and hiding and living among the Philistines and hiding in a cave? And finally, maybe, maybe, maybe somehow, some way, but his hopes dashed time after a time. Uh, D David is living in the wait, the W-A-I-T, living in the wait. And I want you to know as somebody who has lived in the wait, um, it is not the best neighborhood in town. Uh, what you want to live in is not the wait. You want to live in the how about now. That's where you want to live. You want to live in the how about now. You don't want to live in the wait. It's so easy for us to feel like we're never, we, we, really, we're, we're, we really aren't anointed because we're living in the wait. And if we were anointed, we wouldn't live in the wait. We would be in the here and now. And because we're living in the wait, you know, someday, somehow, some way, your finances are going to get sorted out. I, I, I'm preaching to some folks here today. Someday, somehow, some way, you're going to get the job that you think you uh, should have, you can do, the business success, the opportunity. Someday, somehow, some way, it's going to change and things are going to get better. But in the meantime, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm sick and tired of waiting. I've had a good spirit so long, I could write a book on good spirits, except there would be curse words in it because I'm sick of waiting. Don't act righteous. Don't act righteous. We know about you. We know all about you. Um, and so uh, there is a passage in the scripture uh, that I think is, uh, in, a, in a unique way, is I think peak frustration for David. Now, there is lower moments as far as his spirit. Um, I think probably an example of a lower moment would be when he's dealing with an insurrection, the civil war caused by his own son. Uh, that is a low moment, and he actually uh, flees for his life and weeps as he goes. But interestingly enough, he doesn't stop pouring out his heart to God in praise and prayer as he flees, weeping. But he turns his tears into uh, a praise and worship experience. I pray all of us learn how to take all the ups and downs of our life into our relationship with God and not stop opening our spirit to him in spite of our circumstances. That's a lower moment, yes, but this is, I think, peak frustration. If you want to separate the complexity of family problems, everybody knows family problems are the worst kind of problems, and everybody has some family crazy. You all do. If you don't know who it is, it's you. That's right. Everybody has some family crazy, and in my family... 
I'm not the family crazy, but I sometimes am. Uh, we all do, and if you look at that life, family pain is terrible, but it's, you know, it's family. What are you going to do with that? But this moment here in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, you see a very unique moment in David's life. He's already survived being ignored. He has survived being betrayed. He's survived uh, Goliath. He's survived uh, living in a cave. He survived living among the not the Pharisees, the Philistines. He has survived all the, the sack and destruction of Ziklag. He has gone through everything. And here's the reality. He's still not king. Somebody say it with me. Still not king. I hate it when I have a promise of God and he's asking me to keep believing I am still not king. And now, chapter number nine, the second book of Samuel, you see the apex of this absurdity. No one doubts whether or not David's talented. No one doubts whether or not David's anointed. He has survived everything and kept a good spirit. He could have slew Saul in the cave, but he said, God, I will not touch your anointed. God knows how to raise and lower. He doesn't need us to bear some assassination of character or personality for him. God God will exalt and God will lower anybody that needs. He would not lay his hand on the king and he still isn't king. And now let me tell you the peak frustration. Sam, uh, Saul, I should say, is dead. Saul isn't even king anymore. He died on the battlefield. And more than that, his son Jonathan, his heir, died on the battlefield. So notice the unique level of frustration. In spite of all the promise, in spite of all the anointing, in spite of all that David has survived, and in spite of all the talent that David has demonstrated, he has come to this moment where Saul's dead, Saul's heir Jonathan is dead, and David's still not king. Um, now, I think David reveals something beautiful about uh, his heart in this moment because rather than feeling sorry for himself, rather than in some way uh, getting mad at God and bitter, David does something different. He somehow gets around to this question, is, is there anybody I can bless? Oh, I, I just want to build here three tabernacles because I hope somebody hears what I'm saying today. Um, uh, he could have spent his time saying, oh, nobody loves me. I'm never going to get ahead. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of being broke. Everybody's tired of being sick, and everybody who's broke is tired of being broke. You ain't special. Is there anybody I can bless? Now, we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter number 9. David asked, is there anyone still left in Saul's family? I want to show kindness to this person. I want to do it for Jonathan. This would make perfect cynical sense if David was already the king, do you see? If David was already on the throne, it would make sense for him to find someone he could bless. Why? Because he could solidify his position and he could demonstrate his connection to the royal family he had married into. It would make sense cynically in, you know, a real politic, as they say, the real cold rules of politics. It would make sense if David was king, but David's not king. David is not showing you his political acumen. David is showing you his heart. He could feel sorry for himself, but instead he's saying, is there somebody I can bless? Is there anybody who has it worse than me? Is there anybody? I know I'm tired of my struggle, but is there anybody in my life they're struggling to? I know I'm tired of struggling with the circumstance I'm in. Is there anybody else I'm that, 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 that is, I can be a blessing to? There will be a revolution of God's blessing in your life when you get the focus off of how bad you have it and you change your focus to this essential manifestation of the heart of God. Is there anybody I can bless? I may not have as much as some folks, but is there anybody I can bless? 
I may not be able to sing like Melix, but is there anybody I can bless? I may not be rich like Don, but is there anybody I can bless? Come on, somebody. Is there any church folks in the house? I may not have the talent of a superstar, but is there anybody that I can bless? Let me quit thinking about what I need and ask myself, is there anything I can do to bless somebody? That reveals the fact that you are after God's own heart. And so the answer comes back, uh, yes, uh, he asks Zeba, Zeba's of Saul's household and of Saul's family, and uh, they bring uh, Zeba in, and they ask him this question. He says, yes, um, and here's David. Is there anyone left in Saul's family? I want to show God's kindness to this person, and Zeba says to King David, Jonathan has a son still living. Uh, he is crippled in both his feet. I don't care how bad you have it. There's somebody who has it worse. When I was, uh, I, most of you guys know I'm a cancer survivor, and I, I was um, uh, 29 years old when I was getting chemotherapy, and um, it's really easy when you're sitting there, and they're putting that poison in you, and you know it's poison because when they put it in you, they have gloves on up to their elbows, and they have shields on their face, and I'm like, is, I asked the lady, I said, is that for you or me? And she said, oh, no, that's for me. And I said, you're going to put that in my body? She said, yes, we are. That's, yeah. So, um, and I, it's so easy to feel sorry for yourself when you're in that situation. And um, I, I, one day I, I, was, I was feeling sorry for myself sitting there. You know, I'm pretty good at feeling sorry for myself. I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking about how sick I am and how my whole body hurts. And I'm, anyway, just feeling sorry for myself. And uh, a young guy came in and sat down beside me. And he was, I was 29, he was 19. And um, he just, he had just found out that he had a, a different form of blood cancer than I had, and um, I watched him there, and I, I tried to talk to him a little bit, but he could hardly focus. He had been devastated by his, his um, uh, circumstance, and uh, the Lord brought me through that experience, but um, it wasn't long after that I read the obituary of the paper where that young man that I had met had passed on. Uh, I don't care how bad you have it. There's somebody who's got it worse. Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. David, I know you're mad you're not king, but Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. I know you're tired of living in a cave, but Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. And you know why he's lame? It's not even his fault. He's lame because someone dropped him. My God. Someone who was supposed to protect him dropped him. Someone who was supposed to care for him, they dropped him. It wasn't even his fault. And here he is lame in both feet. And uh, there's a lot of people who uh, they should be a whole lot more effective in their calling and in their abilities, but somebody dropped them. There are churches full of people who should be much more efficient at what God's called them to do, but somebody dropped them. One of the great tragedies of church hurt is it is a lid upon your spiritual potential. If anybody has hurt you in the church, please forgive them. Somebody say it with me. Please forgive them. Come on. Please forgive them already. What they did to you is not limiting them, but it's limiting you. They may have been trying to do something good when they dropped you. They may have been trying to help you when they dropped you. They may have had an excess of zeal when they dropped you. There's lots of people in the church who have more zeal than wisdom. There's lots of people in the church who have more talent than they have character. And if you don't forgive them, that's your lid. You know what your lid is? Who haven't you forgiven? That's your lid. The king said to Ziba, where is this son? Ziba said, he's in the house of Maker, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now, I've preached on Lodabar before. Lodabar has two different meanings depending on how you translate it. On one hand, it means no pasture. This son of a king is stuck in a place where there's no fruitfulness. He's living in a desert. Uh, and uh, if you translate it differently, it means no communication, which means uh, he's isolated. There's a lot of church hurt people, and they're living in places where there's no blessing, yeah. and there is no communication. 
They are isolated and spiritually starving. Now, David, you can feel sorry for yourself. You can. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. You're still not king. You can focus on how this seems like it's never going to happen, or you can look around for somebody to bless. If you'll do that, you'll reveal you're a man after God's own heart. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, uh, they go to get uh, Mephibosheth from Lodabar, that place of isolation, that place of poverty, that place of um, desperation. And David, uh, he shows how to take the focus off of himself and his own frustration and look for someone else to bless. David is thinking about somebody who may be in a worse situation than uh, his situation. And he's doing it before he's king, before there's any benefit in it for him. He's doing it before there's any, how shall we say, cynical self-reward in it. He's doing it as an action of his heart. Is there anyone I can bless? Now, uh, having seen this in David, now let, let, me, let me refer you to a church word that you will hear if you've been around church very much. It goes like this, loving kindness. You will not hear that word anywhere but at church. <laughs> You won't hear the word loving kindness anywhere in church. Now, if you want to mess with people, use that word in ordinary life. You will mess with them. Tell your child that according to your loving kindness, you are not grounding them. They will look at you like, how about that? I have no idea what's happening, but I'm nervous because you threaten my electronics, and that's all I really live for. Uh, <laughs> tell your wife, if it were not for the loving kind, anyway, moving along. Uh, this is a term that you will find a lot, loving kindness. What book of the Bible you find it more than anywhere else? You'll find it more than anywhere else in the book of Psalms. You'll find loving kindness more than anywhere else in the book of Psalms. Who is most of the Psalms written by? Written by a guy who can be frustrated and look around and say, is there anybody I can bless? Most of the Psalms are written by a man who is after God's own heart. He can take the focus off of himself and say, is there anybody I can bless? It's not just about me and my blessing. Is there anyone I can bless? And I, I won't preach it today, but David would bring this young man to his own table, and he would sit him there, and he would make him as though he were his son sitting at his table. Let me remind you that here's a cripple. Most kings are ashamed of putting real people at their table. They only want people who are, you know, reality TV stars, and they look good all the time. That's who they want at their table. David puts this young man lame at his table as though he were a son. I'm not as good looking as some of you suckers, but let me tell you something. God put me at his table. Some of y'all so fancy. Every time you walk by, my wallet hides in my pocket because you put on such expensive clothes. You are so fancy, you show up with them shoes, and I'm just like, bless them, Lord Jesus. You know who you are. I'm not as fancy as you. You know who I'm talking about. I'm not as fancy as you, but God let me sit at his table. I'm over here in the poor people department, maybe, but God let me sit at his table. Come on, somebody. God let you sit at his table. Uh, uh, where does this phrase loving kindness come from in the Bible? Well, here's the thing. Uh, that, uh, when you see two words put together, it's because the translators are having a hard time uh, getting the translation right. Whenever you see that, two words juxtaposed together, cheek by jowl, uh, the translators are trying to be fair to the word, um, but one English word will not get it right. That's the word loving kindness. Not just love, not just kindness, but loving kindness. Do you hear me? Not just love, not just kindness, but loving loving kindness. This comes from a Hebrew word, uh, hest. Now, I have never preached about a Hebrew word for love called uh, hest, or if you pronounce it correctly, hest. That's how you would pronounce it. You growl it. That is correct pronunciation, which I will not do because uh, uh, I don't want to entertain you too much. <laughs> um, hest. I've preached about agape. How many have ever heard some good agape preaching? That's the unconditional love of God. You a dirty dog? God still loves you. He's committed to you. Amen. That's agape. You can't deserve it. You're not going to be good enough. You're not close to perfect. Quit lying to yourself, but God loves you. He's committed to you. That's that word that we use for agape, the unconditional love of God. Preached a lot about that. Never preached about hest. 
and this is another Hebrew word for uh, love. Its direct translation is loving kindness, or you could also translate it as loyal love. You could put those two words together. God has loyal love for you. God is a giver of loving kindness to you. Has God been good to anybody in this house today? I want to remind all of you, the goodness of God doesn't depend on how much money is in your bank account. If you're broke or if you're loaded, God's still good. The goodness of God is not dependent on whether or not you personally are sick in your body. If you're feeling great or you're not feeling great, God is still good. You need to believe that. It will change the manner in which you praise him. It'll change the songs you sing. It'll change the music you listen to because God is good. Now, now stay with me just for a couple hours more. So uh, hest is the word that is used in the story of Ruth where you see the uh, she has come uh, married to into the family of Naomi. Uh, Ruth has come to Israel. She's not of the house of Israel. And as a result, it would be easy for her, it would be easy for Boaz to use a scripture here or a cultural thing here to take care of Naomi but not Ruth. Do you see? Uh, it would have been quite easy for, um, and this is the story of all religion, for uh, Boaz to pick the scriptures he wanted and ignore the ones he didn't. <laughs> this is as old as human story, uh, theologically speaking, is. You get the scriptures you want. If you want to be angry, you find the angry scriptures. <laughs> uh, he could have done that. She's an outsider. Yes, she married in, but the person she married in through uh, has died. This is a mother-in-law relationship, not a husband and wife relationship. Oh, he could have done that. But loyal love keeps you from finding a way to cut people out of the family of God. Loving kindness finds a way for you to include somebody. They don't look like you. They don't vote like you. They don't think like you. They don't cook like you. They don't even raise their children like you. But guess what? I'm not, well, I'm not, I don't deserve to be here either, so you're welcome in this house. I'm a son of Korah. I stand at the door and say, come on in. I don't deserve to be here either. <laughs> Uh, and the love word, the translated Hebrew word for love in the story of Ruth is this hest word, the loving kindness of God. And so I want to uh, show you something that I think is um, a little different, different take on hope. Now, if you look at all the definitions, all the definitions, and there's a bunch of different dictionary dictionaries, you'll find that hope is always uh, in some way uh, defined like this, a feeling of expectation. You have a, a feeling of expectation, or you could say you have a wish or a desire for a certain thing to happen. That is how everybody defines hope, a wish, a desire, or an expectation for a certain thing to happen. Um, I, I want to take a different uh, approach on hope, because that's what I'm trying to preach about, a new definition for hope, uh, not just for, um, let me say it this way, hope is me anticipating the goodness of God. Yes. Not wishing for goodness, yes. but anticipating the goodness of God. Yes. <laughs> hope says, I hope someday I can pay these bills off. <laughs> That's different than saying, God's not going to leave me in the mismass. It's his good pleasure to bless his children. You see, I'm not just wishing. I'm reflecting on who God is. Oh, someone did not need to. You didn't hear me and you needed to. 
You needed to hear me. Some of you guys are living with this as bad as you need to hear it. You need to be moved in your spirit here today in this. I'm not just hoping to get through the situation. I'm anticipating the goodness of God because God has been so good. There's no way a God that good's going to leave me in a mess this bad. I'm not just wanting good things to happen. I'm thinking about how good God is. Hmm. He who has begun a good work in me is able to bring it to fruition. This is how a believer defines hope. I am anticipating the goodness of God. I don't know how exactly he's going to save me but I'm anticipating the goodness of God. I don't know exactly how he's going to heal me, bring me through, set me free, <laughs> but I am anticipating the goodness of God. God is so good. Even when I'm down, I'm not out. <laughs> God is so good that when even when I am set up upon by all sorts of trouble, he raises up a banner of salvation in my life. I don't need to just hope for good things. I reflect upon the goodness of God. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come right now. I want to show you in the scripture how David lives this. He acknowledges his reality, and then he anticipates the goodness of God. The most famous passage or chapter in all the word of the Lord is Psalms chapter number 23, and it was written by this man who showed us a moment where in the midst of peak frustration, he looks around and he says, is there anybody I can bless? Uh, let me show you the most famous thing he ever wrote, and I want to show you how he anticipates the goodness of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. For his name's sake. It's not about me. It's about who he is. I am anticipating the goodness of God. Yeah, I'm in tough circumstances, but I am anticipating the good. Some of you need to learn how to anticipate the goodness of God. Yeah, things aren't perfect, but you serve a mighty God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a banquet for me in front of all my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, surely. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I tell you, if I had, mm, I'm telling you what, my goodness. <laughs> and if I could preach this the way I feel it, I'd be one of those preachers in my own private jet, but I can feel it better than I can preach it, y'all. I'd take y'all for a ride, I would. I can't preach it like I feel it, but this is how I want to say it. <laughs> So much of our walk with God is us saying, please. There's something better than please. And that is praise. <laughs> y'all, y'all better say amen when I get my private jet. I won't take you for a ride. <laughs> What's the difference? Oh, I wish. Mm. What's the difference in please and praise? Please is... <laughs> me, 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 Like <laughs> one of the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. Please is me, 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 me. Praise is you, 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 you. 
that make some sense in the house? That's starting to help you? As bad as some of y'all need this, you ought to be shouting amen as loud as you can. As bad as some of you need this, you ought to be putting your hands together and saying, God, I claim it in my life! Stand with me all across the house. I'm trying to quit. I got some other things to say, but I want to try to quit. Here's the difference. Here's the difference that I want you to see. When I say please, I have the same kind of hope everybody has. I sure would like a winning lottery ticket. (laughs) When I say please, it's like some of y'all, God, if you'll let me win the lottery, I'll give 90% of it to the kingdom. And then the Lord looks at your heart, and if that's true, he lets you win the lottery. And if it's not true, you don't win the lottery. That's funny, and no one laughed. Y'all thought I was doing theology. I'm just cutting up. (laughs) That kind of hope is, I hope something good. I hope I get my healing. I need a miracle. Okay, I understand. I've prayed that many, many times. But actually... What I don't, I don't really need a miracle. I just need God to be God. (laughs) Did y'all ever think that it's amazing that angels aren't impressed with miracles? Angels are not. There is no place in the Bible. Let me think real quick. Hmm, hmm, I think this is a safe thing to say. Not in my notes. There's no place in the Bible where angels rejoice over a miracle. Thinking, thinking, computing, computing, computing. I'm going to roll with that. What gets them excited when a sinner repents? Because what we think is hard for God is actually easy. And what we think is easy for God is actually hard. God can heal the whole nation, but getting your carnal hide to repent, that is my God. The angels are like, my God. My God, my God, my God, I'll be an angel. Did y'all see who repented at church? (laughs) I just had a song in my heart. Miracles still happen. Did y'all see? Oh, coming on over, coming on over. Did y'all see who repented at church today? Some only by prayer and fasting. What we think is hard for God is easy. I don't need a miracle. I just need to God do God things. But when I praise, it changes the kind of hope I have. My hope is no longer me, 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 me. My hope is I am anticipating you. I'm not pleading my case. I'm anticipating you. I'm anticipating that it's your pleasure to bless your children. I'm anticipating that it's your pleasure to finish what you started in me. I'm anticipating that you are the great physician. I am anticipating that you're not going to leave me in the mess you found me in. I'm anticipating that one of these days I'm going to get free of this old planet and I'm going to be rejoined to my creator. I am anticipating the goodness of God. One more thing, and then we're going to have our prayer service like we do. One more thing. Here we go. Here we go. I said one more thing, but I want to show you nine more things real quick. David's first problem is that he's a worrier, but he says at the beginning, uh, God's going to meet my needs when I'm worried. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to lack for anything. How many of you lack for something? You lack for something? Stop worrying. Start anticipating the goodness of God. David knows that stress is part of life, so he deals with that right around. Right right, right at the beginning, he makes me to lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. When I'm stressed out, God knows how to give me peace. I'm not begging. I'm anticipating the goodness of God. Also, 
when I'm tired and weak, he's still good. When I'm on my last leg, he's still good. He restores my soul. I get confused. That's a true story right there. I get confused, but God guides me in the right path for his name's sake. I, I, I'm going to go through tough times. I, I may even walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not afraid. Why? I'm anticipating the goodness of God. You are with me. I feel insecure a lot. And if I'm not careful, that insecurity will kill my faith. Or I can anticipate the goodness of God when I feel insecure. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can beg for blessing or I can anticipate it's in the heart of God to publicly show his favor upon me in spite of the enemies in my life. Some of you need to claim that here today. In spite of the enemies in your life, God's going to show his favor on your life. You prepare a banquet for me in front of all my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You're going to be good to me no matter what happens. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and not only that I'm going to get old and die it doesn't matter I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever I'm not begging for a miracle I'm anticipating that God's going to be God what do you need what can you turn from pleading into praise what can you turn from begging into boisterous praise what can you turn from me 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 to is there somebody i can bless why do i feel rich enough to bless because i'm anticipating the goodness of god Here's what's going to happen. We're going to turn this whole house into a praise and worship service. Our team's going to lead us. If you're visiting with us for the first time and you need to go, you can be dismissed at any time. But please, please, don't rush away. The service isn't done until you touch God in your spirit. I want to encourage you right where you are to lift your hands. If it's been a long time since you repented, you can repent of your sins right here today. Don't just rush away. If you've never received the gift of tongues in your life as a sign of God's presence upon you and within you, you could receive the Holy Spirit today by evidence of tongues in this house. Uh, we may baptize some people here today. We'll see how all of that goes. But this is what I want you to see. Rather than living this life of please and may I and please and begging and me, 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 stop. Live a life of faith. Become a source of praise. I'm anticipating your goodness. I, I, I'm tired of being in debt, but I'm anticipating your goodness, oh God. I'm looking to see what you can do. I'm tired of being sick in my body. I'm anticipating a visit by the great physician. I'm tired of fighting with this one and that one. I'm anticipating you to lay me down beside still waters in green pastures. If I'm preaching to you today and you know it, why don't you step out of the chair you're in? Let's gather in here to the front as close as we can. If you want to say where you are, that's fine. But those of you who will, step out in the aisle. If you're with your family, reach out to them. Take their hand. Pray one for another. Don't just rush away. Let's let our spirits be joined as we exalt the name of the Lord right now. All across the house, lift your hands. Lift your voices. Oh, God. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.